the, the children up to grades eight are welcome to uh, go to your group classes right now. So thank you for being here. And worship team, thank you for leading us in worship. Well, hi. Hey, really good. You're doing well. We're uh, diving into our last week in our series called uh, No, No Fear. We're talking about fear. We're talking about how to learn to laugh in the face of fear, right? And uh, just engage in the way that God was, would want for us to understand those various fears that are coming into our lives. And the big thing about fear, we've talked about the fact there's good fear and bad fear. And bad fear can really mess up our lives. In fact, I thought I'd share with you just a couple of things about bad fear and excuse the alliteration, but I have a tendency to do that. So here are some things that bad fear can do. Bad fear will first, first of all, stupefy life. It will uh, stupefy life. Um, it distorts it, it twists it. Sometimes you find that um, it makes your life go inside out. Have you noticed that about fear? So little hurts when you're thinking about your health can be exaggerated. Relationships that aren't the way that they want you want them to be or they need to be. When you have fear, those relationships, every little gesture or facial expression becomes enlarged in your thinking. When we talk about those kinds of things, you know, that's a consequence of this kind of stupefying, how fear just gets us to think crazy inside out ways. I don't know if you've heard of spoonerisms. You guys know what a spoonerism is? Anybody know what a spoonerism is? Okay, it's when they take a story and they flip the first letters to another letter, another word, they'll take a front, anyway. I'll read you a spoonerism and you'll get the idea. And spoonerisms kind of remind me a little bit about this idea that fear can stupefy our lives and our lives get going kind of goofy when fear is in control of us. So here's a spoonerism. I'll see if you can figure out what the story is. It's called Prinderella and the Sins. Twance upon a wine, there was a gritty little pearl named Prinderella. Prinderella had two sisty uglers and a micked webstother who made her wean the clindos, flub the scores, pine the shots and shans, and do all the other wordy dirt. One day, all the gritty young pearls were invited to a drancy best ball at the callus of the ping, but Prinderella couldn't go. She didn't have a drancy fest, but only a rooty dag, which didn't dit. But Ben, who should appear but Prinderella's Gary Fodmother? In the eyeling of a twink, she changed a pumpkin into a poach, heist into morses, and the rooty dag into a drancy fest. Prinderella pranced all night with the pransome young hints, but then at the milk of stridnite, she ran down the peps of the stallus, and on the bottom pep, she slopped her dripper. The next day, the ping issued a proclamation that all jelligible earls were to sly on the dripper. The sisty uglers slide on the dripper, but it fiddn't dit. Then Prinderella slide on the dripper, and it fiddn't dit. So Prinderella married the hints, and they hived laughily ever after. Okay? You should have seen my spell check on the computer. It was going crazy with that stuff. But the story, you know the story, but it's kind of weird. It's kind of odd, and, and that's what happens sometimes when, when fear grabs hold of us, right? We get mixed up. Things feel silly. It can grab hold of us that way. Here's another thing that bad fear will do. It will sour self-worth. Bad fear can sour self-worth. It stops us from doing some of the things that we maybe wish we'd do. For me, sometimes, bad fear can stop me from speaking up when I should speak up. I, I don't do go the extra 10%. I don't confront the person maybe the way that I should or want to. And maybe you find that when fear gets a hold of you, you don't act the way that you should. It sort of stifles, your sours your self-worth in that sense that when I don't say those things that I want to say, what happens to me is that I start 
picking on myself and thinking less of myself. My self-worth goes down. I'll say things to myself like, you're such a coward. Why didn't you say what you should have said? You should have done that. And, and, and I'll, go, go, I'll answer myself back. No, I'm just trying to be super sensitive. And they'll say, no, no, you're not. You're a coward. I get that conversation with me. You ever have that? Where the fear, I, it starts to become like a mirror. And I look back on myself and say, I'm not what I want to be. I'm not what I should be. And my self-worth goes down. Bad fear will also stunt growth. Fear can stop us from growing socially and relationally and, and academically. We will just stop doing the things that we would normally do or could do and we'll back away from that. Some of us, so we didn't change a job because we were afraid of that. We didn't continue in school. We didn't go back to school. We didn't address issues in our lives. It stops us from growing. And so we sit on the sidelines and we watch the riskier people sort of enjoying their lives. Fear stops us from doing that. And I wonder how many, many of us might be in the wish I'd been more riskier club. I wish I had changed jobs. I wish I had invited that, stepped out and, and made friends with that person. I wish I had, I wish I had, I wish I had. So fear can somehow um, stunt our growth. Fear, bad fear will also steal our joy. Here's a question. Can you have joy and fear at the very same time? I don't think you can. I think that fear will take away the joy in our lives. You can't have them at the same time. You know, some things just don't go together. Sand and cheese, the Stanley Cup, and the Maple Leafs. Um, oh, I'm in trouble now. Um, and neither can joy and fear. They just can't really go together. So we'll find when fear is grabbing hold of our lives that bad fear that it steals the joy from our lives. Joy goes and hides in the closet. Bad fear will also stifle others. It will stifle others. Par parents who are fearful will transmit that fear to their children sometimes. I have a sister-in-law. When lightning comes, she crawls under the bed. That's literally what she has to do. She's so afraid of it. And I don't mean to make fun of her, but you can imagine what her children do when lightning comes, right? There's a certain sense in which that happens. And for some parents, I think that when we present with our kids, we're saying things like, you know, um, go off to school, have a great day, be risky, try stuff, don't be afraid. Those are the, some kind of parents. And other parents can be wrapped up like this. Oh, Johnny, it's a tough world out there. Watch what you say. Watch what you do. It's a scary world. Now go out there and have a great day. You know, sometimes that can happen in terms of our bad fear. Bad fear also will silence God. We keep stoking the fear when we do that. We elevate those things, and the fear becomes so big that it blocks our view of God. It's like a solar eclipse where the moon gets between us and the sun, and our fear can sometimes get between us and God. And we look at our fear, we make it big, we make it prominent, and in many ways we end up, it becomes like a God in our lives. It becomes strong and powerful in our world. That's bad fear. And what we have tried to do in this series is get rid of the bad fear, deal with the bad fear by looking at God and inviting him to touch our lives in very powerful and profound ways. And this morning, we're going to talk about one more of those things. Now, if you remember, we've talked about the first thing we talked about was my future and God's faithfulness. We said that most of our fear, maybe all of our fear is about the future. And the fear is like a pothole. And if you keep looking at it, you'll tend to drive into it. So what you want to do when you, instead of looking at your fear and making it big and powerful in your life, is you look up to God, first of all. Then you look back and you, at his promises and you pull them into the future, into your present. And then you look ahead past the pothole into what relies beyond us in eternity. And those three directions can help us face those fears. God's faithfulness can help us do that. We talked secondly about my failure and God's grace. 
And we remember that sometimes because we sin, and Becky did a great job talking about that this morning already, that that sin can become something where we feel like God does, just kind of doesn't want to, you know, is he going to forgive me? Is he going to be pleased with me? Is he, does he, is he sort of stuck with me and not stuck on me? Does he really love me? And we talked about God's grace that is greater than our sin. It is unlimited. It is unmerited. And that grace we need to embrace on a daily basis and understand our relationship with God is built on grace. It's not about what I do. It's about what God has done. And that's what I rest in. And then last week, we talked about my inadequacies in God's power. Can God really use me? Can God really use me? Because I'm weak. I don't, I'm not even happy with how I live out my life, let alone is God happy with it. Can God really use me? And we realize that his power is greater, and he wants his power to work in us to make us like Jesus so that then his power can work through us so that he can be glorified in our lives. And he wants to do that in our world. This morning, we're going to talk about my needs and God's provision. And there's a verse that we've been using in our series. You remember, it's Psalm 34 and verse 4. Can you read it off the screen with me? You ready? I sought the Lord, and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. I sought the Lord, and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. So God has promised to provide for all my needs so I don't have to be afraid, right? I don't have to be afraid. He's promised that, and that's an important thing. Now, this kind of fear shows up as worry. Okay, can you say the word worry with me? Worry. Okay, great. We're going to talk about worry. Now, worry is that anxious, apprehensive, that fretting that we have. My shirt's all in a knot. My stomach's in a knot, right? I get all worked up. I get all stressed out. My hair turns gray. My hair turns loose, okay? All those kinds of things can happen as a result of worry in our lives. Now, what we're not talking about today is healthy concern. I think healthy concern is very important. But most of us struggle with worry, right? Most of us struggle with worry. And some of us, we even worry about our worry. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, we're just really, we really struggle with worry. Um, some of us are maybe not prone in that direction. I understand, actually... Um, that researchers have decided, to, or in their research, have discovered that people who tend to worry are actually more creative, more imaginative. People who worry actually are hot, more highly intelligent than the average person in the world. Isn't that crazy? Which tells me that the reason some of you don't worry is just because you're not that smart. <laughs> um, right? So, but worry can really mess us up, can it, in a whole lot of ways? And there's that little word that we keep saying when we're worrying. It's the word, what if? What if I lose my job? What if I wreck the car? What if the preacher preaches, what if I preach a bad sermon? What do you do, right? What if? Or what if you lose your job? You can go find another one, right? What if you wreck the car? You can go to insurance and they'll, it'll replace your car. What if the preacher preaches a bad sermon? You send him to Hawaii for a week so he can get rested up and come back all charged up again, right? <laughs> oh, maybe not. Now I got you really worried. Life filled with worry is kind of wrapped up in that what-if idea. What if, what if, what if, and it really can grab hold of us. Worry, someone has said that worry is fear searching for a cause. And the Bible often addresses worry, right? But the way it addresses it, it might not feel helpful. Um, because, uh, uh, in one sense, because it's, 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 like, it's like when somebody tells you to stop worrying, right? I mean, oh, thank you, that's very, very helpful, right? I've been telling myself that as well. But when you go to the Bible, you're going to find that also. Look at these verses up on the screen here, right? 
Psalm 37, 1, do not fret. Psalm 37, 7, do not fret. Ecclesiastes 11:10, banish anxiety from your heart. Matthew 6, 25, do not worry. 6, 31, do not worry. 6, 6 34, do not worry. Luke 12, 2, do not worry. Luke 12, 29, do not worry. So you read all those lists and you're going, okay, God, I get it, I get it, right? And then you're still worrying. So what you, but one of the things we can understand from this is that God is saying to us, hey, I think there's a way that you can move away from being dominated by worry. I think there's a way that it cannot have that control in our lives. If God tells us that we can do it, guess what? We can do it. Now, I'm not suggesting that when you walk out of here that none of us are going to be worry warts anymore, right? I'm not suggesting, bang, that was an amazing talk, Ken. I'm never going to worry for the rest of my life. Ain't going to happen, right? But hopefully we can take some steps in a direction to understand God's solution for us, God's help for us in this area. I love the verse in Luke 21, 14. It says this, make up your mind not to worry. Can you say that with me, please? Make up your mind not to worry. So today, we're going to start making up our minds to not worry. Now, there's a game called Whack-A-Mole. You ever played that game at the fair? You know, you're whacking, the little moles are popping up. And sometimes worry feels like that, right? It's popping up here, there, and everywhere, and you're whacking away at it. Well, we're going to try and do that today. And here's how we're going to do it. We're going to look into the Sermon on the Mount and talk about how to whack worry. And we're going to do that by looking. It's, it's about what we see, and it's about, secondly, what we seek. So Jesus is going to tell us in the Sermon on the Mount what we see matters. I want to tell you where to look to help whack worry, okay? And I'm going to tell you what to seek to help whack worry. Just two things. We're going to walk out of here today, and we're going to say, okay, I'm going to see things differently, and I'm going to seek different things. And that will help us take some steps toward dealing with worry. It's about what we see. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 30, or chapter 6, verse 25 to 31, if you want to grab your Bibles and look there, Matthew chapter 6, which is part of the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus teaches us in the Gospel of Matthew. And I want to read to you some verses from this passage. I want to read verses 25 to 31. So let's go, okay? I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear, is not life more than food and the body more than clothes. Next slide. Look. So here's where he tells us, this is how I want you to address the worry in your life. The first thing I want you to do is I want you to look. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? Next word is see. Okay, again, that, that looking piece. See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon, in all his splendor, was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire... Will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? Jesus makes this statement about worry. And what's interesting is that what he pulls out in this statement are these, these essential kind of almost life or death things, right? Eat, drink, and shelter. And he says, 
don't worry about those things. Your father is going to take care of you. That list, when I look at it, I'm thinking food, drink, shelter. Those sound like really basic. If I don't get those right, I'm dead kind of needs, right? And then I start to look at, and he says, don't even worry about those. Now for us, we don't really, how many of you last time you worried about food? Probably not whether you're going to have food, but what food are you going to eat? That's our, our sort of our high level worrying about food, right? Beverage is the same and shelter. Most of us are, are cared for really well. The list that Jesus has there, we don't probably worry about it very much at all, right? I'm not worrying about that stuff. But in Jesus' time, this was something that they were worrying, worrying about. And when you look at the list, you start to say to yourself, well, the stuff that I'm worrying about kind of pales in comparison to the stuff that Jesus is addressing in this passage. And that draws me to say, well, if I'm not worried about those things, I shouldn't be worried about the things I'm worried about. Now, we do know that there are people in our world who struggle in those areas. And Jesus' words to them might be rather startling. We worry about our jobs, being liked, affording a house, accepting friends, legitimate things to be concerned about, but on a totally different level than what Jesus is talking about here. Jesus is talking about something different. We tend to worry about a number of things that wouldn't even fit into this category that Jesus is talking about here. How many of you worry about my stuff? I have a Toyota Tacoma. It's 15 years old. How many of you worry that maybe Ken's car truck will break down, that I'll get stuck on the side of the road in minus 30 degree weather one day? How many of you have ever worried about that? And you say you love me. <laughs> Why? Well, my truck doesn't belong to you, right? We tend to worry about our stuff. But what Jesus, I think, is pointing out here is that your stuff really belongs to God. And we need to somehow learn to, to see that and let him take care of it, right? The more that I focus on my life and my body and the things about my life and my body and act as if I own my life and my body and I'm responsible for my life and my body, the more I'll be prone to worry. Now, now look what Jesus says. He says what? What does he say? Look at the birds. Look at the birds. Look at the next slide. Next slide. Can we go to the next slide? That's the last slide. Ah, there we go. Okay. So he tells them, what does he tell them? Go and what? Look at the birds. Okay, now that sounds kind of goofy, right? Actually, it's pretty godly. He says, I want you to go outside and I want you to look at the birds. And the second thing he says to them, I want you to go outside and I want you to look at the flowers. Just kind of interesting thing for Jesus to say. And you're probably saying to yourself, well, he's not really meaning go out and look at the birds. And he, he doesn't really mean to go out and look at the flowers. Well, maybe he does. Maybe when we're worried, one of the things that we should do is go look at the birds. I mean, I look at the birds in Canada, particularly in the winter, and I don't know how they make it. I mean, you don't even have socks on, okay? And it's so stinking cold out there. And yet God seems to protect them. What if we actually, when we were worried, went outside for a walk and literally looked at the birds and began to look at them and how they were living and all the other animals in the world and realized that God has done something really special to take care of them. Or you sat down and looked at a flower and you're saying, well, well flowers are a little different, Ken. Yeah, yeah, but he says that even Solomon doesn't look as good as they do. God takes care of us. And I think one of the things that's so true here that Jesus is saying is that we need to not see this as just some lighthearted thing that he's saying. I actually believe it would be really helpful for us to deliberately, when we're worried, to go outside and actually look at the birds. 
And if it's wintertime, get on YouTube and look at some birds there and spend some time thinking about them. God created them. They're amazing little creatures. We need to spend our time looking at them and look at the flowers. Really do. Really look at them. Meditate. Think about them. And think about them and the things that you're worried about and think about the things that the birds are worried about. And you realize, oh, they're probably not worried about anything. So why are you worried? Why are you worried? That's what Jesus is saying here. Now, this teaching that God's going to provide everything, it creates some challenges for us, doesn't it? Because when I look at it, I'm saying to myself, okay, but there are Christians that I know of in, in the world, people even in, in Canada who are struggling with some stuff, God, and it doesn't seem like you're, you're caring for their needs. There are Christians who have died. There are Christians who have starved to death. There are Christians who have been exposed to the weather and the shelter isn't there and, and they've died because of that. So Jesus, what are you saying here? Because I'm struggling a little bit with this because I'm looking around and going and saying, I'm not sure this works. And it's a challenge, okay, but that what Jesus is saying here. Let me give you some ideas around this. Um, one of the things that I think is important to understand is that ultimately everything comes from God. And I think Jesus is making that point here. Everything comes from God. Remember that. I think a second thing that he's saying is this. Jesus, or to understand is this, Jesus is not naive, right? I mean, he was hungry for 40 days. He understands all that dynamic. He knows that he is going to die, and he knows that followers of Jesus will also die. Everyone is going to die. Death is a, uh, death and trouble are inevitable. And um, it's basically this teaching that God is going to care for us until such time as death may be our experience. Until such time as that happens, he is going to provide and care for us. I think that's a second way of looking at this. A third way of looking at this is to understand that ultimately, God is going to care for us in eternity. So right now, we might go through difficult times that he will leverage in his way, but ultimately, he's going to take care of us in the afterlife. And that's so important for us to understand as well. Another point here is that God knows what we're going through. That's one of the things that Jesus emphasizes here. Your father knows. So understanding that he knows what I'm going through can be very, very helpful. Here's the fifth point. If we go to the next slide, it says this. We can go back, back again. I'm sorry, the slides aren't, I'm, I messed up the slides, I think. Let me just read to you from, the Apostle Paul speaks about this himself. And he says this in Philippians 4.19. God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. So the Apostle Paul is saying the same thing as Jesus, okay? He's saying that God is going to supply all your needs. Paul is saying it. Jesus has said it. And what's interesting with the Apostle Paul, if you go back to verse 11 in Philippians chapter 4, he says this, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. So Paul is saying in chapter 4 and verse 19, God's going to supply all my needs. Before that, he says, you know what? I've been through situations where I've been in want and need. I've been hungry. Everything hasn't worked out well. And yet he continues by saying God's going to supply all our needs. It's like there's a couple of things that are happening here, and I think one of them is that he keeps trusting God even when he feels that his needs aren't being met. The second thing is he's learned to be content 
even in those things that are very difficult to be content in. In other words, what God has done is kind of lowered the desire for those things, the, the passion for those things, so that he can now accept life the way that it is. God has helped him do that. And I think what Paul is doing is maybe teasing out a little bit of what Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount to say, if you'll trust God, even when the needs aren't being met, you will find that your desire for those things will become lower and lower, and you'll find a contentment even when you're not seeing them being met. So Jesus wants us to experience this ability to see things differently, to look at things in a way that would help us to recognize that the fear that we have, the worry that we have about things that we don't have or things aren't the way that we should be, we need to look at the birds, we need to look at the flowers, we need to understand that God takes care of stuff, that the world's still spinning, he's in control, and maybe ask God to help us lower those desires that we have inside of us. The first thing that we need to do to whack worry is it's about where we look. The second thing is it's about what we seek. And what Jesus is teaching us here is about ambition. What is it that you long for? What's the thing you're most passionate about? Because what you're most passionate about will have an impact on your worry. It will have an impact on your worry. God longs for his ambition to be ours. So the focus of our attention moves off of those other things and moves on to what he wants to do in our world. Enjoy your job, enjoy your hobbies, enjoy your work, your education, and so on. But be careful to not embellish them to a place where if I don't experience this, I'm not going to be satisfied in my life. It's really easy to take other things and turn them into idols. They're going to be the thing that gives me my identity and my security and my life meaning. And Jesus would be saying, don't go there. If you go there, if you turn those things into who you are, if those are the things that really matter in your life, then that's a recipe for worry. It's a recipe for worry. And what you need to do is you need to be focused on something else. So imagine right now that I asked all of you to think about an elephant, okay? Big, floppy-eared, gray, long-nosed, massive elephant, okay? Now stop thinking about the elephant. Don't think about the elephant anymore. And sometimes it's really hard to do that, right? Unless I say something like, okay, I want you to think about um, an ice cream sundae, tall glass, big balls of white, fluffy vanilla ice cream with chocolate syrup and some whipped cream on the top and a cherry on top of all of that. And as soon as you start to think about that thing, the elephant kind of disappears a little bit, I hope, right? So this is, in essence, one of the things that Jesus is doing here. He's telling us, you know what? You need to be deliberate about this. You need to think about and prioritize something other than what's going on, as it were, around you. What is making you worry? So go to Matthew chapter 6, verses 32 and 33, and here's what we read. For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. And here's the word, but seek, can you say that word with me? Seek, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. What are you after in life? You can live your life one way, or you can live your life another way. You can live your life prioritizing all these other things, or you can live your life prioritizing the kingdom of God. This is so important. You can seek to reorient the direction of your thinking. And throughout the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus, in those 5, 6, 7, chapter 5, 6, and 7 of the book of Matthew, has been making, dividing humanity into two groups. There are wise builders, there are foolish builders. There are narrow gate people, there are wide gate people. 
There are store treasures in heaven people and store treasures on earth people. And now he's saying this. There are seek God's kingdom people and there are seek your own kingdom people. Seek your own kingdom people are people who are going to be naturally worried. They'll be prone in that direction. Seek God's kingdom people are people where worry disappears. It dissipates. Let me read to you what God's kingdom, what it means to seek God's kingdom or what God's kingdom is. God's kingdom is Jesus Christ ruling over his people in total blessing and total demand. To seek first his kingdom is to desire as of first importance the spread of the reign of Jesus Christ. Such a desire will start with us until every single department of our life, home, marriage, and family, personal morality, professional life, and business ethics, bank balance, tax returns, lifestyle, and citizenship, is joyfully and freely submissive to Jesus. Jesus' point is that if our lives focus is all around temporary things like food and clothing and cars and so on, then getting, a wor getting victory over worry is going to be really difficult. It will be, worry will be inevitable. But when those things are in the right place, when the kingdom of God is in the right place, when we value it and pursue it and put it where it needs to be, that will impact that will impact the way that, we, the way that we struggle with other things. It will lessen our struggle with them. Jesus' point is that if my life values are found in temporary things like food and clothing and money, then getting victory over worry is going to be difficult. But when I seek his kingdom, when I am seeking the most important things, the eternal thing, and that eternal thing that is so important is going to help me with my worry. Has it ever struck you that Jesus basically wasn't a worrier? He sleeps in the middle of a storm. He doesn't struggle with all kinds of things like that. And he doesn't seem to worry. And yet the weight of the world is on his shoulders. He's going to take the sin of all humanity on himself. He's going to go to the cross. He's going to be brutal, brutalized. And yet he trusts his father. He seeks the kingdom first. He came for us. He came to please his father. And because that was true, the weight of the worry that other people had, he just didn't have it at all. He was able to discover and know that kind of peace in his life. Put the world first, and you'll find a life of anxiety and worry. Put the kingdom of God first, and you'll know a joy and rest and open-hand experience that may be greater than all of the other stuff the world has to offer. Here's a passage of scripture I want to leave you with. It's 1 Peter 5, 7. It goes, cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you it's what we see it's where we're looking and it's what we seek it's what we're pursuing that really really can help us with our struggle with worry let me pray with you can we do that heavenly father as you know as you know we are people who struggle with worry and for some of us it can be so profound so real so deep so strong in our lives that we have difficulty sleeping, that we have difficulty uh, in, health, in health issues come up, and our whole world becomes dominated by that thing that we're worried about. And some of those concerns, Lord, are very real and very near to us, and they are very serious. And it's hard for us to just turn off the worry. We need some help. So we invite you to help us to look around, to look outside our own world of what we're worrying over, and look at the birds and look at the flowers and look at what you've done in your creative power and realize that you're caring for that. 
Help us to do that, Lord. At the same time, help us to look at what we're worried about and help us to replace it by by pursuing your kingdom in greater and deeper ways, to, to walk closer to you, to invite you to use us in ways that would honor you more fully. And I ask, Lord, that you might do this um, in, in very deliberate and specific ways in our lives. Help those who may be struggling, as I already mentioned, to really be blessed by, by what Jesus has taught us today. And I pray that you would have first place in our lives. And I ask all this in Christ's name. Amen.